Welcome back to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast, which is, of course, no longer the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast because we are minting a new show today. In fact, this is the third maiden voyage of the new Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast, which is, of course, not the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. We are sweating bullets today, and this is not a solo show anymore. It is going to be a, a duo, a dynamic duo. Obviously, I am Batman, and with me, as always, is our designated Robin, Jacob. Jacob, care to introduce yourself? You know, with like the, the blonde hair, the the political backstory. If anything, I think I'm a little more Harvey Dent. Um, you know, and if oh, I get no. the lighting, I get the lighting just right, you know, maybe maybe we can pull that off. I'm not sure. There but you, um, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about uh Harvey Dent and Batman a little bit this week, uh, because you know, you either live long enough as a hero to see yourself become a villain. Is that is that the quote? I think that's the quote. Um, I believe it is, yes. Yeah, and I, I'm a villain now. I bought my first ever share of CD Lamb um, oh since God. like rookie drafts. So that was pretty that was pretty villainous of me. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about a lot else. Um, it's always fun. The way I pitch the show is that if people are in the Bulletproof Discord or they follow us on Twitter and they see us like tweeting back at each other and furious arguments, it's that. But you'll actually be able to follow what we're saying because it won't just be paragraphs broken up constantly and interspliced with each other. So it's 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 all of the entertainment and the animosity, but with coherent sentence structure. We'll even let each other speak. No. Nope. <laughs> so we're, we're going to cover a little bit about the podcast. We're going to cover a little bit of everything. We're going to primarily probably focus on Dynasty because that's what I like the best. Jacob will probably force a bunch of like redraft and best ball and DFS on us because that's what he likes the best. I won't force DFS on you. Not here. Not here. Yeah, we'll see. Probably not. But uh, yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about everything. It's a bit like it's a player podcast uh, with also, and, and of course, Jacob is going to force a bunch of high level strategy stuff on us that doesn't matter. If you just pick the right players, you obviously get to win, which brings me to my first question is I obviously picked all the right players in my redraft leagues this year. Just don't look at any of the bulletproof patron leagues because they're uh i think i auto drafted maybe well, one of the leagues out. you're you're in second place that's pretty good of course i'm yeah. in first place in that league but second <laughs> is pretty good by like 0.3 points isn't it but when you consider the level of difficulty i mean i have michael Pittman, chris godwin and elijah mitchell on my team they're not scoring me any points so i don't know who who would you say is the driving force of success on that team perhaps my sixth round wide receiver pick who, who was your sixth round wide receiver pick by the way it was christian kirk that's right where he needs to be taken. In fact, yeah, you're probably interesting that he didn't end up on your team. You're not. Are you a real truther? You didn't take him in the fifth. You know, I I misjudged. I so we we did a series. You took DK of Metcalf. I bet you wouldn't take DK Metcalf over Christian Kirk and redraft again today. Well, absolutely, absolutely not. We did a series of these drafts. The first draft that we did with the or that I did. I don't think you were in the first one. No, I, was I got absolutely just smoked. I, I was getting hit left and right. People were taking all the good players like rounds ahead of ADP. I'm like swimming in these like leftovers being like, I, I guess I'll take this guy even though he's awful, but like his ADP was four rounds ago. So I don't really know what else to do. It was, it was a nightmare. I couldn't believe you have Russell Gage in that league. Do you have Alan Lazard? In that league? <laughs> I don't think I have any of those guys, but it's, <laughs> so, somehow the patrons got berated about zero, uh, zero running back. I don't know how that happened. Thing. And all of a sudden, they just started taking all the wide receivers when I was supposed to be taking the wide receivers because I went robust RB <laughs> robust. of obviously my high testosterone levels and you know Batman Batman esque manliness. So, anyways, what I want to talk about right immediately 
the first yeah. topic in the history of the show yeah. will obviously be none other than why is zero RB simply <sighs> annihilating the world right now? And what can we do when everyone in your league actually follows your, you know, advice and uh, knows all of the players that you like and then takes them all before you get a chance? What do you do in those situations? Because I need some help with that. Well, so I'll address the first part first. For anybody that knows he falls into it, I don't draft a lot of running backs. Um, what I always say is like, I don't actually hate running backs. I'm just really selective about running backs. And funny enough, if you really iron it down, Drew and I like most of the same running backs. Like, it's not like I'm out here, like, being like, I like Mixon and Chubb. And he's like, I like Smith and Barkley. It's like, no, like, literally the running backs that Drew's like, you need to, basically, the running backs that Drew was like, you need to leave your drafts with all these running backs, were the running backs that I said, if you're going to take a running back, these are the ones that I would consider. Um, and so basically, just from different angles, like, we landed on pretty much the same backs. Um, sure. Except for Cam Akers. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even like him that much. He was just available. You got him, you got him, in, he you got him in every redraft league that I'm in with you. So it seems like you, you love him. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I think, why is Zero RB dominating this year? I mean, first of all, small sample. It's been two weeks. Um, and and, and no, we've they, generally they, been lucky. Let me stop you right there. There are no small samples in this podcast. We are taking everything that's happened in the first two weeks as the absolute truth of what will carry on forever. That's so, true. I also that, think that... Now that the audience knows, let's let's keep going. The NFL is just getting smarter about football, right? And that means that they're they're spending less time on inefficient plays. And, like, inefficient plays are running plays, generally. It's, like, short little dump-offs. Like, players want to move the ball down the field. And you see a contributory effect where if one team is consistently throwing the ball down the field and they're doing it successfully and they're scoring points, then the other team also has to try and score points and they start throwing the ball down the field. And it's just naturally, like in single plays, you see more massive, big strike touchdowns to the wide receiver position. And when you see these types of explosive plays happening to the wide receiver position, you know, it impacts game environments. It creates um, really high scoring outputs. We see that basically in the, in the, Dolphins and Ravens game where you get two teams that have been running at a higher pass rate over expectation this year. They both did that in week one and you have, you know, a team that's pushing the ball down the field with the passing game. The other team has to come back, push the ball down the field with the passing game. And you see these explosive plays. We have all these explosive young talents on the field between Bateman and Andrews and Waddle and Tyreek Hill. And it's really, really incredible. I, I think that the season will not end without Dalvin cook or Derek Henry or, you know, these guys that have been struggling so far out of the gates being heard from. But I do think that the more we see running backs usage curtailed, right? Even good running backs, like Austin Eckler is not a full-time running back anymore. He's clearly a lead running back, but he's not like a full-time running back. The only running backs that are truly dominating every single situation for their teams, it's like Leonard Fournette, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, I guess, but he doesn't actually get used that much in the passing game or as much as the other elite running backs. Maybe I'm missing a couple here. Najee Harris, but he's terrible. Um, so you get these running backs, like there's not that many explosive bell cows anymore. The age of Latanian Tomlinson is kind of over. And so what you get often is some plodding bell cows and you get part-time receiving players. You get players like Chubb and Henry that are very reliant on rushing efficiency. This makes them more volatile week to week. And so these ceilings, I think, are going to continue to come both weekly and season long from the receiver position. Um, you know, and then you add in all the other aspects of zero RB and that we're going to see hopefully benefit. Well, not hopefully, I don't want running backs to die and get injured, but hopefully for my fantasy teams, I guess, opportunities to cultivate points on the waiver wire and, and from my bench. Uh, but I do think that part of it's the shift in the NFL that's favoring the receiver position. 
your second question, how do people manage it? I mean, shout out to the ship chasing boys, but they talk about the avalanche all the time, which is like, if you're in this draft where everybody's going wide receiver heavy, what do you do? Like, do you, do you try and counter that by taking more running backs or do you just continue with the avalanche? And I mean, my natural inclination in most like fantasy environments is you always want to do what the field isn't doing because, you know, if there's one path to success, even if it's a marginally more beneficial path to success on average, but everybody's taking that path, I'd rather be the only guy on the other path, you know, even, even if it's, um, even if it's less optimal, but if it's less obstructed, you know, I kind of rather be riding alone. That being said, I'm, I'm not sure that it even applies to this instance because wide receiver, as we know, is so driven by talent. We're going to get to guys like Alan Lazard later and Russell Cage later and these vacated target guys that aren't doing highly talented players right now. Is that where you're going with this? Sorry. That was the highly talented players you were, you were speaking of. Exactly. The the highest of talents. Yeah. Um, We're going to talk about this, right? But we know that what targets are earned. We know that wide receiver is a position in which volume is very much driven by how good you are. And we know that to running back, that's to some extent true and to some extent not true, right? We know that you don't actually have to be that good to get a bunch of volume. A coach just has to give you a bunch of volume. Usually the players that coaches give volume to are really good, but there's an intermediate level there that isn't the case at wide receiver. A coach can give you all the routes in the world. He can mistakenly think that you're a great wide receiver and play you on 100% of the routes. If you aren't a good wide receiver, you will not score points. If you are a bad running back that the coach decides to play in spite of this, or I don't know, three running backs ahead of you get hurt, you will score fantasy points Um, because that's really just about volume, right? We know that efficiency doesn't matter as much. And so if you're, if other people are taking all the receivers and you take running backs, you're going to just be left with bad receivers and you can never make that ground up. You can do it at running back. You have to get lucky. You have to either hit on a late round guy that you have um, a strong case for, or you have to benefit from injuries or contingent value or something else, or you just have to outscore everybody at receiver. But like I found that myself in that position where there was running backs that I had ranked above Christian Kirk in that league. But I was like, I have to take Christian Kirk because there's like five wide receivers left that I have any interest in rostering at this point. And it's the sixth round. So it's like, if I don't want to start a wide receiver that isn't good and can't ever be good because they're bad, I'm just going to take the last of the wide receivers that I actually want to draft on my team. And then I'll deal with running back when I deal with running back. Well, I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, what I would like to point out is that my, my, my team my one team is pretty bad my second team is quite good my third team is slumping uh which brings me to the next point there are a number of offenses in the nfl that are slumping already we are two weeks in we are in major crisis mode in a number of cities right now number (laughs) one on that list is none other than the chicago bears which i'm really bewildered by because i remember last year being firmly in the stance of hey you know what the bears might suck today but they're going to get rid of Nagy. things will get better they can't possibly get worse and here we are two weeks in and things are decidedly worse with no hope for the future i'm abandoning ship i'm i'm like i'm already off the ship the the ship is 20 miles beyond me now what are you doing with the bears at this point because like like what the hell have they been doing it doesn't even make sense yeah i think in my tweet i called them unserious right? They're an unserious organization. Um, like they, they would rather, that's what they are. They're not serious. They're not taking, they are not taking the responsibility with which they've been given seriously. They have a responsibility to have a football organization that wins football games, right? 
that's not hold on a that's second. not the, hold on a second because i started off this whole podcast with like a batman and robin thing and now you're throwing in like the spider-man thing like with great responsibility <laughs> coming to power or whatever it's true like let's let's stick with one superhero for the show please all right um <laughs> they 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 were vested with a responsibility to try and win football games and they have not acted as though that's what they think that their goal is. They have acted like a team that wants to lose gracefully. They want to lose conventionally. They want to lose in a way that they get embarrassed less, right? And you see Bears fans that seemingly co-sign this. I saw Bears fans online being like, hey, we were underdogs to both games. We're one and one. That's pretty good. I don't know. We only we were competitive with the Packers. We were in the game. You know, we played good defense. We ran the ball well. And like, I'm a Colts fan. Um, I, I mean, I'm aghast at the product that's been put on the field, but I'm like actually happy about it. Like I, I've been venting people where I'm like, I'm so sick and tired of the Colts being like a pretender where they're, they're just like tricking themselves into thinking that there's some new aging quarterback away from being relevant when like all they're trying to do is just like lose in the first round and preserve their jobs. But I, I mean, understand rationally why the Colts are acting that way because Reich and Ballard, I think are in year five. The Bears just hired these people. They're in year one. Like, they have a long leash. Why would you wish to expend your leash in such an embarrassing fashion? They have 28 pass attempts in two games. That is embarrassing. That's an abomination. That's not, like, football. That's not trying to win. They had a drive last game that they began that drive down 14 points in the fourth quarter. It was an 88-yard drive. They ended up getting stopped on fourth and one from the goal line. They had zero passing yards. They had one passing attempt. I mean, they moved the ball down the field. Some of those were dropbacks that field scrambled on. But, like, they accomplished nothing um, in, in the actual game. They scored no points. They wasted a lot of time. Even if they had scored a touchdown in that drive, that would have hurt their ability to win the game because they took so much time off the clock. And then more importantly, like, do they not understand that it doesn't actually matter whether they lose by 14 or 28 on Sunday Night Football? Do they not understand that it doesn't even matter if they win Sunday Night Football? Like, do they not... Look at the Chiefs play, right? Or the Chargers, so they not, like, or the Bills. Do they not watch the Bills and be like, oh, yeah, like we're not in that class of team. We're not actually competing for the Super Bowl this year, right? That's not our goal. Our goal is to find out where we are. How do you find out where you are? Do you have a quarterback? I've seen now Justin Fields play in a full season worth of NFL games. I don't have a fucking clue if he's any good. I have no idea because he hasn't gotten the chance to play football yet. My inclination is he's probably not good because I would think that if he was good, coaches would let him play football. But even if that's the case, like, wouldn't you want to know in real NFL games if he can throw the football? It's insane. I, I have so many things that I need to say about all of this. Number one, hearing like, woe is me about a Colts fan and oh no, the team has been bad for so long. You went through like Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck success. I have no problem with them being bad. I don't mind bad. I, I don't like striving for mediocrity. I actually quite no, embrace that. Were you not the one celebrating the Carson Wentz trade this time yeah. last year? Uh, and I was very wrong, but I would say that of the of of the things that the Colts have done, like I think that the Wentz trade, like in hindsight, it's obviously the most detrimental because they gave up the most. But outside of, like out of, going for Rivers, and then going for Wentz, and then going for Ryan. Oh, and then the other one in that that people don't talk about uh, as much because he's a great player is trading a first-round pick, the 13th overall pick, for a defensive tackle. Um, but of those like four moves, great defensive tackle, who I love very much, but he's a defensive tackle. 
and that's in conjunction with the Rivers move, right? They could have not done that. They could have picked a quarterback, but instead first round pick for defensive tackle and then sign Philip Rivers. Of of those decisions, like the Wentz one is the one I'm most okay with because at the time he was a 28-year-old quarterback who had flashed elite franchise quarterback potential. It hadn't happened in a couple of years, but like I can at least understand the idea of like maybe if we get Carson Wentz back to that, then we have a franchise quarterback and he's young enough that he could be our franchise quarterback, you know, both immediately and for the future. Like, was it the best way to try and do that? Probably not. I would have much preferred if they just traded up and tried to get Trey Lance or Justin Fields or something. But like, I would rather that, like that had a goal and it had like a real goal. Like Matt Ryan was like, last year we didn't make the playoffs. This year, we're going to go 10 and 7, baby. We're going to win the AFC South. We're going to lose the first round. And we're not going to get fired. Like, that was the goal. Like, the Matt Ryan was like the most, like, triple condom, don't get fired move I've ever seen. I hated it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's, it's, yeah, they're not good enough to win. No. They only have Michael Pittman, the league MVP. And now he's out. And you've seen, obviously, what has happened to the Colts in his absence. And anybody Shout who, out uh, Paris Campbell. Otherwise, Oh gosh! Would you like to guess what Paris Campbell's targets per route run was this week? I think he had a few targets, didn't he? Or did he have a few in week one? He had like six, I thought, one week. Am I, uh, am th- I mistaken? This week, his targets per route run was point uh, zero three. So it wasn't this week then. <laughs> no. Like he he fit in with the Bears. He could take like you know a third of their targets with that uh, that kind of raw targets to drop into that in, elite eleven. Wouldn't he fit in offense? nicely next to Nikhil Harry and Dante Pettis? I think oh, that's a good like, spot for him. Last year, this time, when we're looking at the Bears, we're saying, you know, the the future is whatever it is. We don't know right. yet. Anything could happen. It could be amazing. Nagy could be awesome like he was in Kansas City. That might have been Andy Reid. It's hard to, well, it's not that hard to know. It was probably Andy Reid. But it could have been <laughs> Matt Nagy as well. We don't know yet. Probably Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> it was probably Patrick Mahomes. Well, I mean, they did some, like, Andy Reid's done some magical yeah, things yeah. with some not very good quarterbacks. Right. He, oh yeah, Nagy was there during the Smith year. My bad. My bad. Yeah. He wasn't even there for the Mahomes year. So like Nagy was like, eh, whatever. He's probably gone if it doesn't work. So it's fine. We got we got yeah. hope in the future. And then we were like, okay, well they still have Allen Robinson. They got this Darnell Mooney kid who was like, okay, like he'll be a, a yeah. decent wide receiver two in the NFL. NFL player. He'll be very good at fantasy football, but that's fine. And then they, you know, they'll draft a wide receiver next year. That's going to be fine. Like they got draft picks. <laughs> that's going to be great. They go out and draft like Venus Williams or something in like down three, which is really bizarre because why would they do that? The guy's like 25 years old and, and, and now, and now it's like this, this coaching staff is unlikely to go anywhere. A one and done coaching staff is extremely rare. I mean, unless they do really bizarre things like, you know, drafting Travis Etienne in the first round when you already have James Robinson on the team, like go kick your kicker. That makes a lot of sense. And then just call really weird plays all the time. Like those are the kinds of things that might get you one and done. And I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility right now because they just passed 11 times in a game. They were losing by two touchdowns the entire game, basically. So like, there's a lot of just inconsistent logic being applied by this coaching staff. And and just, I don't even, I, I can't even come up with the right word to describe the idiocy of everything going on in <laughs> Chicago. So, anyways, that, enough about Chicago. I think. Are you? Wait, no, we're not. Not enough. Oh, about Chicago. Are you yeah. buying Rain or selling Justin Fields at this point? So, I'm. This will be like my answer to a lot of people, but I'm kind of like bothing, in the sense that on players with. Okay, this is exact. Drew warned you at the start of the show. He was like, "I'm going to give player takes," and then Jacob's going to apply a bunch of macro babble. Here we go. Um, 
on players that have a high degree of variance to their price in the sense that they've either gone drastically up or drastically down over the course of the first two weeks in people's eyes, I just want to be active on all sides of the trade market. So to be clear, like coming into this season, I sold all my fields because I thought that the Bears were an unserious joke of an organization. Basically after the draft, like once day two happened and they were like, we won't draft a wide receiver in round two, we will draft um, Velas Jones in round three. I was like, all right, we're, we're done with this. Um, and then... I mean, now if he's like dropping in price, like I don't think the bets changed all that much. I, I could be interested in buying Justin Fields. Like if we could get him for like a wide receiver two type situation, uh, if we get him for like a, a vet aging running back, um, you know, I, I'd love to do that. But I'm certainly not like racing out to buy him at all costs. Um, and if I had Fields, I would be in active trades to move him. And if the Fields manager, it looks like they're trying to win this year and they're panicked that Fields will not help them in that regard. I would probably try to look at like a Dalvin Cook or a Derrick Henry or Joe Mixon or maybe Nick Chubb after his big two games. Be like, hey, would you like a running back? Come in, score a lot of points. You know, maybe slide them a Jared Goff or a Carson Wentz or whatever like the worst quarterback is on your roster. See if you can get Fields in like a second round pick. So like Justin Fields has basically not moved since Sunday, which is really wild on on Keep Trade Cut. If anybody isn't aware of that, it's a pretty slick hasn't moved And he also way. hasn't passed the football. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> two, two things are happening, or not happening, rather, is yeah. his dynasty value is not changing, and nor is he passing the football. So, like, if I, I guess, yeah, if his price drops, or you can get him for considerably less than market value, I'd be interested in buying and seeing where it goes. If he was valued considerably less than he is right now, I would be absolutely buying because who knows? This could be a one and done front office. Like, it's possible yeah. they're doing the most bizarre things you could ever <laughs> imagine someone of doing. So it's perfectly well within the realm of possibility it's just not that likely at this point yeah. anyway do you think it's like and an organizational failure like do you think that the bears like care more about winning in like the bears way than they just do about winning like there's there's something weird to me about like the bears like i don't know it's just like how can they keep hiring clowns right like either they have no eye for talent or they care more about controlling their front office than about hiring the best people and if that's true then they're controlling them in a bizarre direction. Like, do you think that the Bears are just like, we're the monsters of the midway, we win with defense, we win with running the football? Like, is that like part of this ethos that they don't want to actually win in the 21st century? They, they want to enforce 1984 on their opponents? It, like, I, it has to be like the identity of the team in some way, right? Like, like, that's what the fans identify with. We need to get back to this. This is what our fans want. When in reality, their fans probably just want to win some freaking football games. Are and... there Bears fans? Like, I would just not be a Bears fan. Anymore, yeah, like if you had a right? choice. it's a choice. You have a choice. You don't have to continue to be a Bears fan. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that tweet where the person was like, he like punched a hole through his TV in front of like twenty people that were over, and then his like wife left him, and then he was like, the Bears did this, and it's like, no, you did this. <laughs> I, I, I quote tweeted that tweet with the <laughs> extremely popular meme of the guy like shooting the guy sitting in the chair Wait. and then being like, why did they do this? <laughs> Wait, you quote you okay? Did you do this after or before? I. So I literally quote tweeted it also, and I didn't see yours. And I said, I in asterisks, I said, insert who shot Hannibal meme, and then quote, why would the Bears do this? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the, that is the <laughs> meme. That's the one I posted. That's hilarious. Great minds. We are we are in sync here on the Sweat and Bullets podcast, Ooh, and uh, it will stay that way forever. And yeah, but unlike Justin Fields' fantasy value, it's probably coming down because I can't imagine this offense. So like, part of my stance on this is that after this display, like things that will get better, they're not going to pass 11 pass attempts every game. Right. Things will get better. We're going to see them get up to 30 pass attempts, probably on average over the course of the year. 
But what we're not going to ever see is probably them ever trying to be an up-tempo offense and like score fantasy points. And at that point, I'm just, I'm just out. Like Justin Fields needs to be so special to score fantasy points in an offense that doesn't want to score real life points. And I am not convinced that he's that special. And I just rather pivot to someone else. There's so many players in his value range that are really attractive. I mean, it's worth noting, right? Like that, that two separate coaching staffs have now worked with Fields. And sure, we think they're idiots, but there's some level of signal to the fact that two different coaching staffs, three different play callers have had fields and decided not to throw the football, right? Like you'd think that if he was actually that good, they would consider trying it, right? You can kind of think that somebody along the way would have said, hey, you know what? Why don't we let the kid that can throw the ball throw the ball? And nobody ever had that thought. It can't just be us that thought that. Right. So it's like, I, I have to ascribe some level. Like to me, what I would argue is they shouldn't care. Right, like whatever their doubts are about his ability, they should be like, "Well, whatever. We think he sucks, but we're gonna find out." Right? Right. I mean, if he is terrible, better to find out now and then draft a new quarterback. Right? Like, absolutely. So, so like, I I think it's terrible anyway. But my point is, like, I think that they might just be trying to hide him. Could be. This is this is kind of my point with the. uh, I was gonna take this in two different directions. We're gonna go this way first. This was my point way back in the 2020 draft. Yeah, when the part of me with Haskins and Tua. About Haskins and Tua. Haskins had a shot. It wasn't good. Punt him. Get the second round pick you probably could have got at the time. And take Tua at second overall instead of uh, the the defensive end. The generational one that hasn't been generational at all. Chase Young. Chase Young. Who's who's a fine player. Don't get me wrong. But you just can't win in the NFL unless you have a high caliber quarterback. Obviously, Tua Tungabailoa is an exceptionally high caliber quarterback as evidenced by his play yesterday or two days ago whatever sunday was from today very recently the most recent miami dolphins game we were given sufficient evidence to know that tua tonga veloa is a patrick mahomes level passer and there is nothing that convinced me otherwise other than of course the fact that he's not a patrick mahomes level passer and that was all a lie you should probably be considering selling tua tonga veloa so we're going to move off slumping offenses onto this exceptionally unslumping offense what what is the reverse of a slump whatever that is that's what the dolphins are right now is it a hot streak is it a heater it's a heater they're on on a heater you never leave the table and you're on a heater so the tua tonga veloa miami dolphins will not be leaving the table at any point in the next 16 games i would presume but my question for you is, how good is Tua Tungabailoa? Is he an, an upper-tier passer? Is he an elite passer? Is he a mediocre passer? What are we talking about here? I got I thoughts, but you can go first. I don't know is, like, my, my answer. Um, like, like I, don't, I don't know. I think he was a fantastic prospect, uh, truly an elite prospect. He, he was, I mean, this is obviously aged like milk, uh, but I'm admitting it regardless. He was my QB1 in that class coming out. Um I thought that he was the best quarterback of him, Burrow, and Herbert. So I'm, I'm a total idiot for thinking that. That being said, um, you know, he's obviously not been as good as those guys so far in the NFL. But he's been like, definitely fine enough, especially in his first year. Like people in his first year thought that he was bad. I don't agree with that. I, I thought that he was like a pretty clear buy going into year two. Um, my issue with him was like less about thinking he's terrible or something. It was that, okay, he might be terrible. Like we haven't seen enough evidence that he's actually great. Uh, he might be just okay. He might be really good. Regardless, he doesn't run. So basically his range of outcomes was either like terrible out of the league. um, And scoring. Yeah. Entirely like replaceable, you know, back end QB two, who is like a good enough quarterback to kind of hold a job, but not much else or good quarterback. Who's like going to have a long NFL career, but 
is probably not all that impactful for fantasy. Like, I don't know, like think like a Kirk Cousins, a Matt Ryan, et cetera. And I get that those quarterbacks in the past, like Matt Ryan himself has had elite fantasy seasons, but every year we're getting more and more rushing quarterbacks. And we're, talk, we're going to talk about Hertz next, right? And he's potentially into it. And I just think the pressure on these quarterbacks is so high at this point that unless you're like an exceptional passer, right? Unless you're Herbert or Mahomes, um, you know, or, or Brady last year throwing it like 750 times, um, that unless you're a truly exceptional passer or in a truly exceptionally high pass volume offense, which we can't really predict as prospecting, then I just don't really want to take the guys who don't run because you're, the opportunity cost at that point is, is pretty high. Like even to a, this year in startups, like he's still going often in round three, round four, round five. Like there's really, really strong wide receiver bets in that area. I would rather just take the upside there and spend down a quarterback or just spend all the way up, up, up top for the for the elite guys. So I've been out on Tua. Tua non uh, certainly let me know that that I was incorrect in that assertion after after week two. But I, I do remain out on Tua at his now rising cost in Dynasty. Can I just say, by the way, because you are part of Tua Don, um, so maybe you can speak on behalf of of the cult. Why does Tua have such a cult of personality surrounding him? It's like strange to me. Like every other every other player that has this level of cult of personality around them is generally either like a nobody believed in us player that like people truthered for at one point, or they're actually elite. But Tua was just like a first round draft pick who's been totally average, and yet like every time he does something, I have like ten people sending me texts saying expect us. It's like, I, I don't understand, like, are they my Amazon driver? Like, why, why am I supposed to expect something uh, every time that, that Tua has a, a touchdown pass? Uh, please, please uh, tell me why I'm wrong, Mr. Tuanon. So I'm actually not Tuanon. I've, I've been, how do I, people were wrongly down on him in his rookie year. He was a completely right. normal rookie quarterback. I, I was, that was my stance. I agree. Like you are, you are fading this man for no reason at all because he was, you were comparing him to Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, who had two of the best rookie years we basically ever seen from rookie first round quarterbacks. And that was unfair. That was my stance. And he was considerably undervalued. I thought at that point, then after the second year, I've kind of like cooled. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with them. Like, uh, I'm not like out there in the streets trying to buy them. Like I, so just prior to the season, I think in maybe the August or so update to the dynasty cluster, cluster uh so I, I don't do rankings anymore for new listeners or old listeners i do these clusters which i think are really fascinatingly awesome and i Great. and i i don't give players a buy sell hold anymore i give them an a b c d e f uh designation in terms of how much i want to buy or sell a player and two right. was perfectly out of c i was like I, I don't really care like he's fine he's not great he's not bad he's just gonna be he's gonna be a long-term nfl quarterback i think and that's really where the appeal ends Beyond that, he's never going to win you your fantasy league. He's never going to score 25 points a game. He's also probably never going to score 15 points a game. He's just going to be fine for the next decade. And that's whatever. So when I did this new update with the ABCDF uh, grades, I actually gave Justin Herbert an F grade, which is not uh, not an indication that I do not think Justin Herbert is a good player. I think he's a very good player. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the world. The problem with Justin Herbert is that he doesn't rush the ball in the sense that the other superstar quarterbacks do. He's not Kyler Murray. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Josh Allen. And he's not a good, of a pass, good enough of a passer to be Patrick Mahomes at this point. He could be that one day. We'll see. But he's just not in that elite ta- category. Just like Tua Tonga Veloa isn't good enough to be Justin Herbert. 
we have that same like yeah he's fine but he's just not there and i like i'm not part of tune on i've i i rescinded that title back last year and uh, i'm just like completely lukewarm on him what i would be doing with Tua Tugavello right now in a dynasty league is taking him and trying to package him and go up and get a superstar yes. quarterback that i can have for the rest of his career yeah. i want to get kyler murray who's on one of these slumping offenses the next offense that we're going to talk about is the arizona cardinals which i also kind of wanted to pivot off of like the terrible coaching in chicago with the terrible coaching in carolina with cliff, cliff or, uh, arizona with cliff and God, here we are yeah. we got to we got back to the cardinals anyway all through some awful uh uh or through the superstar play of Tua Tagovailoa for one week and one week only and I, yeah i just tua is a guy who's going to score yeah. 18 to 20 fantasy points probably somewhere around there i was able to do that exact deal in the offseason i packaged tua tungavailoa with cam Akers, and i got kyler murray which means i i packaged tua tungavailoa and the rams backup right back for kyler murray uh, i don't know if you saw this week though that like cam was actually the starter again well, well he didn't start and he played less snaps so you know well he got more touches well, he did get more touches. I, I get he's a bit of a grabby guy, but I don't know. Play, play less snaps. <laughs> anyway, let's 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 move it to the Cardinals. Let's talk about Kyler. About Cardinals. Yeah. Kyler and the, Cardinals. the Cardinals, I think, are a pretty excellent buy low opportunity because two of the wide receivers aren't playing, and yeah. the other one is struggling. And Kyler is still making magic happen because that's what Kyler does. And I just like the offense sucks right now, and I just still just want all of it. And uh, that's maybe wrong. I don't know. What do you think? I'm super in on the Cardinals. I mean, we can be down on the Cardinals, but like their offense is still very helpful for fantasy production. Kyler, despite negative sentiment, I, I don't have the ranks in front of me. He's got to be in the top like eight quarterbacks so far. Like he's he's scored well both games. I understand that it all came in the fourth quarter. One of those was garbage time against the Chiefs. This one wasn't garbage time. I mean, he led them back and let a miraculous comeback win. Basically exactly what Tua did. Like, it's funny how different things are framed. Like, I understand Tua's game overall was more impressive. But, like, I don't know. Tua played, like, total crap the whole first half. He threw two egregious interceptions. Then he played an absolutely incredible electric second half, led them to a miraculous comeback win on the road, and greatest quarterback of all time. Kyler um, also played, like, pretty much crap for most of the game. And then he led them to an electric comeback win on the road. Um, and nobody cares. I don't know. Maybe it was because Hunter Renfro gave them a game with a fumble. But um, my point is, I think that Kyler is positively electric. Um, and like, I, I don't know. I'm pretty dubious of a lot of advanced passing metrics because I just think a lot of them are pretty noisy, but I mean, Kyler and like PFF grades and EPA and such like last year looked like a phenomenal passer, not just in terms of rushing. Like he looked like a truly phenomenal passer at the football. And I really think that everything he does is entirely in spite of his doorknob of a head coach in Cliff Kingsbury. Like he is <laughs> so bad. I mean, it's so fascinating when you watch the Rams and the way that McVay just at will seemingly decides like, okay, I'm going to scheme this player into a touch on this given play. Like he knows that his best player is Cooper cup. And then he somehow gets him matched up one-on-one on linebackers and safeties on like 40% of his routes. Right. Because he actually like looks over the game plan. He's like, okay, here's my weapons. And how do I get my weapons on your bad players? What cliff does is he's like, all right, you line up to the left. You line up to the right, run some routes, hope you get open. Like, that's the extent of his offense. DeAndre Hopkins, I believe, ran, like, over 95% of his routes, I think, from just, like, the left flanker wide receiver position last year. It was just 
totally egregious. And with mm-hmm. Marquise Brown, like he's not a Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson level talent where he's just going to go and potentially win in any situation. I mean, even those guys didn't yesterday. He, he's a really good player, but when he's the only good player, right? And DeAndre Hopkins isn't there right now. So there's nobody to take attention off of him naturally. When he's when there's no one taking attention off of him naturally, and his coach isn't scheming him any into any favorable matchups, he's probably not going to do much for you. And then you have Kyler trying to throw to AJ Green and Zach Ertz, who like I think like have been recalled from the morgue to play meaningful snaps for the Arizona Cardinals, and you're going to have a lot of disaster games. Like I, I, how many times have we watched Kyler scramble seemingly 70 yards around in the pocket just to like doink a perfectly placed throw off of AJ Green's arms? It was egregious. <laughs> so. I'm buying Kyler absolutely. I think he's one of the best buys in all formats of fantasy. He's like become quite a bit cheaper than Lamar. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you can even potentially get him cheaper than Hurts in some places after uh, this week. And you know, I, I love Jalen Hurts, but I, I feel even better about Kyler. And absolutely, if I have Bur- if I have Herbert, I would 100% be trying to trade down to Kyler. If I have Burrow, um, I'd be trying to add not that much and get up to Kyler. Uh, you know. It's too bad that Dak isn't healthy right now in his market from the tank. But when he's healthy and if he regains his value, I would also be trying to look to get him up into Kyler Murray. So I want Kyler Murray. Yeah, absolutely. Kyler Murray, I just checked. He is the quarterback six on the year with 23.8 points per game thus far and has been awesome. He's awesome. Like has been off. The offense has been awful and he's the quarterback six. Wait until DeAndre Hopkins is back. And like I get Rondell Moore is a face planner, and we do not buy face planners in this house. However, we saw Greg Dorch do something in this offense. Like Rondell Moore is going to be more than Greg Dorch, without question. And DeAndre Hopkins may not be the DeAndre Hopkins of old. I will admit that, but he he's better than AJ Green of current. And that's like the offense is going to be so much better in like five weeks. Yes. Do you want to guess so, what AJ Green's yards per target is this year? I don't. I don't even want to know what that is because I can't count in negatives. It's two point six four. Oh my goodness! He, like <laughs> he should not be in the NFL. He, he should have no. retired. He's ruining, he's ruining his Hall of Fame reputation by playing well past his capabilities. Yeah, it's and Jimmy it's Graham all over again, right? It's oh. like I, I call it the Meet the Fockers syndrome. Where like Meet the Parents was actually a really like awesome movie, and also yeah. Robert De Niro had an incredible career. But then for yeah. people at a certain age and younger, they don't know Meet the Parents; they only know Meet the Fockers. And when they think of Robert De Niro, they think of like, "Look at here, Fokker. And it's like, man, that's really sad that Robert De Niro did that, and that people think of him that way. And like, yeah. people will think of AJ Green as this incompetent, crusty old man running around on the Cardinals. And they'll think of Jimmy Graham, like just being the guy who like can't move anymore, stealing touchdowns from other tight ends. And it's like, that sucks. Cause they used to be really good. It does suck. Jimmy Graham was like on Gronk level for many years. Yeah. And now he, he is, he is on like Cole Komet level. And that's, that's just not pretty. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say he was stealing touchdowns from Cole Komet, but this year would prove that nobody needs to steal anything from Cole Komet. <laughs> Does not yet register to fantasy point. Oh my god! Yeah, like there's just some offenses that just aren't doing well, and I'm just buying into them because I got faith that greener pastures are on their way. So the the next team with greener pastures on their way, I think, is the uh, Carolina Panthers, and I think you probably don't think disagree. (laughs) And the reason that I think that they're pretty good is because I think Christian McCaffrey is probably you know arguably the best player in the world. 
And then we have DJ Moore, who is certainly an elite wide receiver. Maybe not uh, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup elite, but he's he's really good. He's probably like a top 10 NFL wide receiver. And then we have this new quarterback at the helm who is, um, you've probably never heard of him. He played a few years in, in Cleveland that nobody ever watched their games. So <laughs> his name's Baker Mayfield. Um, he's a flag planter slash also waiver. He does that from time to time. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he's, he's great, except he's not that good, but he's also not terrible. He's also probably just completely fine. And, if Teddy Bridgewater could get this offense with DJ Moore scoring a lot of fantasy points and Robbie Anderson scoring a lot of fantasy points and Christian McCaffrey scoring a lot of fa- fantasy points, Baker Mayfield can get this offense scoring a lot of fantasy points and we should be buying into the damn offense because everything that Baker has ever done has been better than anything that Teddy Bridgewater has ever done. So that's really where I'm at with this. DJ Moore is going to get a 25 plus percent target share. He's going to score, I don't know, 11, 1200 yards, just like he always does. Christian McCaffrey is going to score 25 fantasy points per game. And Baker Mayfield is going to get the Tua Tonga-Veloa treatment where he just gets carried on with his little buddies and it's going to be fine. And I presume that you feel the exact same way as I do. And the Panthers have their quarterback of the future and the now. And it's just wheels up all around. What do you think the odds are that Baker's their quarterback this year after their first two games were losses to the Browns and Giants? Well, the Browns are an exceptional team. They just lost to the Jets at home. They've never blown to the Jets with Joe Flacco. An outstanding defense that has not had a players only (laughs) uh, defensive meeting thus far. So I don't know if you saw that. They had a players only defensive meeting Uh, literally today. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, they gave up like 14 (laughs) points to Joe Flacco in 100 seconds. Well, you may be confused because Joe Flacco has probably won more games in Cleveland than anyone in the history of football. That's true. Except for maybe Ben Roethlisberger. You know, it's. I'll give it to the Jets, man. Like, I hope that they keep doing this with Zach Wilson. Um, this is like taking us off topic, but I'll be fast. No, let's. I it. love their competitiveness. Like, it's the exact opposite of the Bears, right? Like, the Bears are like falling behind and going into a shell. But both games, like in against the Ravens, it was entirely fruitless. They never made it even close to coming back, and then they actually did come back against the Browns. But in both games, they like were way behind. They were essentially out of the game. But they didn't care. They were like, we're going to play fast. We're going to just throw. We're going to just pin our ears back. And we're, we're going to go down swinging. And and like I'd love to see that, right? That's what I want to see bad teams do. I want them to be competitive. And the Bears are like anti-competitive. Anyway, so I think if they keep that same level of attitude with Zach Wilson, maybe Zach Wilson won't be good. Maybe he will. But they're going to have more productive games for Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, guys we're going to talk about later. Because it's just fun to see a team try in spite of their own shittiness as for the panthers um i agree with you baker mayfield is unquestionably a better quarterback than teddy bridgewater but if i was a fantasy weapon i would much rather have teddy bridgewater because teddy bridgewater like plays in the structure of the offense to his detriment quite frankly like we talk all the time about cpoe completion percentage over expected and why it's really noisy because it rewards guys who throw short of the sticks on third down all the time and teddy bridgewater is like the face of that like he's just always just cruising along and cpoe um just chucking it down short of the sticks but like that gets people fantasy points right like he will pepper guys um especially the running back position he'll check down all day long to christian mccaffrey baker mayfield so far baker mayfield has reached a targeted throw on 71% of his dropbacks. That is woefully bad. Like, that would be somewhat normal if he was Jalen Hurts. 
or if he was Lamar Jackson, right? Quarterbacks who scramble all the time. He thinks that he is those guys. Like when I watch him, you can tell that he thinks that he's very athletic. He's mistaken, but he does think that he is. Um, that means that 30% of the time that Baker Mayfield has dropped back to pass this year, he either gets sacked, he throws it away into the stands, um, or he scrambles uh, futilely. And that's just not what you want to see for any sort of weapons. Scrambles are bad because they take points away from everybody else. Sacks are bad because they take points away and they stall the offense. And of course, throwaways are bad uh, for both those same reasons. Um, it, it hurts the offense that Baker never just stays in structure of the offense. It also means that he spreads the ball around more often because he's continually extending plays. He's finding random guys instead of just throwing to the first read with it's DJ Moore or Robbie or CMC. And if I have to watch Baker Mayfield luck off open Christian McCaffrey targets, which he would surely break a tackle and take 15 yards to take his four nine running ass and scramble around meaninglessly in the pocket until he eventually hurls into the first row one more time. I'm going to lose my shit. I can't handle Baker Mayfield at all. So I hope that they like get through to him that he's bad, but I don't think that Baker is bad actually. I think that he's an okay quarterback who thinks he's a great quarterback. And if he was an okay quarterback who played like he was an okay quarterback, it would be fine. But he needs to just come to grips with his reality. And his reality needs to be checking it down more and throwing to the first read more. Uh, because Sam Darnold, for as bad as he is, that man understood the assignment. One read Sam was throwing it to DJ Moore come hell or high water. Um, and I would love for Baker Mayfield to show some of that same affection. Yeah, I think uh, Baker has like, so there, there's like this stat on player profile called uh, money throws. You're probably familiar with it. Yeah, He scores exceptionally high in that on like yeah. a per pass basis because he's really talented, but he also isn't very good. <laughs> it's really he, he must also score pretty highly in turnover worthy plays and stuff. What doesn't he like? Uh, it, it, he goes, it, it's, it's not static, I guess. Like it's not, it's, <laughs> it goes it high variance. Fair. It's high variance. Like one year he's like, uh, like terrible. The next year he's like, great. And it's like, what? Okay. Just do that some more. Like, why didn't you do that again? That was really good. You threw a whole bunch of really awesome throws and like no really bad throws. And Cleveland loved you and you won all the games. And then the next year you come out and you just like hero balled all game and you threw some really incredible passes and you made some really, really awful ones at a way too high rate. And you should just stop doing the second part of that, and you'd be a really good quarterback. And yeah, like his rushing has been wild this year. He's he's been carrying five point five times per game. But like he's never done that in his life. Never. He's he's like a one to two carries a game kind of guy. <laughs> Maybe three. So we're gonna see some regression on. And his rushing isn't even help over fantasy because he's so fucking slow. So it's not like it's like accomplishing anything. He's not he picking up he's on the four eight four. It's like completely average. Yeah, he's like, average. He's not right? Eli Manning over here, right? I wish that he was. He would check he's, down more. Christian Jamie. McCaffrey. He, I never put this together before. He's famous, Jameis. I had no idea. He's he's a tactical, like unbelievably bad rusher that also plays hero ball all the time. He makes some incredible throws. He makes a lot of real bad throws. We just need to get Baker Mayfield a whole bunch of pass attempts like famous Jameis had in that one magical season with Bruce Arians. And You're, you're right have... that Baker isn't slow, by the way. It's not that Baker is slow, but relative to other quarterbacks who take as many steps as he does in a given game, he's very slow. 
<laughs> Relative to every, quarterbacks that should be rushing the ball, he's very, very slow. Every other quarterback who is a, like who expends as much energy through running as he does. And I don't even just mean running the football because a lot of it's just like run around in the pocket for God knows how long until he eventually throws it to someone. Like just move less. <laughs> I, I don't, yeah. He yep, the other nuts. thing is Baker Mayfield throws the ball way down the field, and I think oh, that's yeah. great. But you have Christian McCaffrey. You shouldn't have an 8.2 yards per attempt, number eight in the NFL, when you have Christian McCaffrey because Christian McCaffrey is a cheat code in the short passing game. You literally just throw it to him, and then he gets 10 yards, and you get a first down, and now you get to throw two more bombs later. So just freaking throw to Christian McCaffrey, you buffoon. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey's targets per route run this year is 17%. I don't say that because I think Christian McCaffrey's washed. This is just like the change in Baker. He was 40% last year, which that's obviously not sustainable. But he has generally been like a really high targets per route run player. He's down to 17%. That means they're not taking the checkdowns. Would you not be a way happier Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore owner if instead of going for Baker, they got like Jimmy Garoppolo? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for those guys, for sure. Because they're like DJ Moore is also really good after the catch. Like if right. they would just put him in that role again, it like like let him run the odd deep route. He's good at that too. Like he's good at everything, but they they don't really ever seem to put him in this role where he can just like rack up the yak, which was his strength coming into the NFL. Like I remember right. they, in training camp, people were like, "Oh, he's like winning this route. Like he's such a good route runner." I'm like, "Who cares? The dude's gonna golden tate his way to leading the league in yak every year with a ten eight on. He's like Jarvis they, Landry, but talented." They did it last year. Player. They did it last year for like the first six games. Like when the Panthers yeah. offense looked kind of good, they got him like a bunch of design touches. They're using them on jet sweeps. They're doing all sorts of stuff. Can they please Matt rule? I mean, Matt rule, not long for this world, right? Like he, what do you say? A couple more games. I, I was just going to say, who's the first quarter or the first coach to be fired. Is it Matt rule? Cause I made a joke about how uh, cliff was the first one to be fired. And then everyone was like, no, no, his contract's still long. Like, yeah, I didn't really think about it. I was just making a joke about how bad this game plan is, but really it's gotta be Matt rule. Like he's, he's on, the hot seat coming into the year they're playing atrocious they're not using their players appropriately at all and maybe that's baker mayfield's fault or maybe it's matt rule's fault i don't know but one way or the other they got to get the ball to freaking christian mccaffrey a hell of a lot more than they have been and the last thing on rule like i mean i think it's fine because terrace marshall's like egregiously bad but look, we were talking about the bears before and the idea of they were trying to lose gracefully to keep their jobs matt, matt rule like maybe to his credit isn't doing that where he's literally just benched round two draft pick Terrace Marshall in favor of Shai Smith, who I think was like a late pick or undrafted. He had one of the worst games I've ever seen. Like he, every single thing that came off his way, he like ping pong battled into the air. Um, And like, it was like, he was destroying his team's chances. Also he wears 12, which is so confusing. DJ Moore now wears two and Shai Smith wears 12. And so I kept watching all these passes getting dropped. And I was like, DJ Moore. I was like, Oh, that's Shai Smith. Yeah, I did the exact same thing. I was like, what are you like? Why is DJ Moore not catching the football? He catches the football. I know that he catches the football. I've seen him catch the football right. for five years now. And then he drops the football. I'm like, what is happening? Like, is this is this a cruel joke? And it was a yeah. cruel joke. They should have retired 12 when DJ Moore moved to two and just yeah. it's okay. We don't need a 12. Yeah. All right. That's thing? enough about the Panthers. Matt rules. Yeah, they're gonna be great. You should buy them because this isn't gonna last forever. That's my point. This isn't going to last forever. Christian McCaffrey isn't going to not get targeted for a long... Like, this is not going to last forever. Buy this offense because it's going to turn around and everybody thinks they suck. And also, they've only ran like 50 plays or 58 ga- plays a game. Like, it's... Like, they're not right. even running plays, which is weird because I think they're playing kind of fast. 
Yeah, no. I'm not sure what they're. I I have no idea on their pace. I, uh, I do think like it's like mediocre. Never mind. Well, but here's here's what I will say though. They've played so far the Browns, the Giants, who are bad. But the Browns and the Giants are also two of the lowest um, Giants, surprisingly to me. Um, but uh, they have been through two games. The Browns and the Giants are two of the slowest, lowest pass rate over expectation teams in the NFL. So they've they've been playing two teams that want to shorten the game as much as possible. Um, now they're also going to play the Saints, who historically have also been one of the slowest play teams in the in the league. But uh, they're they seem like they're a little bit more fun this year. So I don't know when when will the pain end. I'm not sure, but um, I, I do think that Matt Rule is not long for this world. Hopefully that they get uh, a better coach in there eventually. I really hope that the interim coach isn't um, Ben McAdoo. <laughs> that would be the worst case scenario for all involved. Uh, speaking of worst case scenarios, we now have a situation in Baltimore where we have to make Bateman great again, Alpha Man mm. again. Is this possible? Is, is Rashad Bateman going to be Alpha Man again? Is that in the cards? Are we over that? Is he just this situational deep threat now that's going to pop a couple long touchdowns every few games and ultimately kind of suck? Or is Beta Man going to be Alpha Man? I'm so conflicted on Rashad Bateman, perhaps more than any other player. Um, I was already kind of conflicted coming into the season. And of all of the like outcomes that I could have expected through two weeks, this was not on my uh, bingo card. And what the outcome I'm referring to is that he has played elite, 25% targets per route run. Um, he is, uh, I think he has one of the highest yards per target in the NFL. I think he might be like second in the NFL in yards per target. Tenth. Oh, yards, tenth? like ADOT, are you talking? No, oh, no yards per target. target. Never mind. Not that it matters. But I just mean like he's being like efficient. Like he's he's being efficient. He's earning targets in a high clip, and he's converting on his targets at, at an incredible clip. Um, so he's playing very very well. I mean, he has two he fifty is, yard touchdowns in two weeks. Like right, which I mean, yeah, but he's playing really well. And, he's made and, uh, two plays in two weeks. Well, two weeks, two two plays is pretty good <laughs> um, when you're talking about like massive plays. And and I and beyond like the two plays, like I said, his targets per route run twenty five percent. That's that's fantastic. Um, the issue is they're not giving him enough routes. It's weird. Yeah. He ran 74% of routes, I believe, in the first week, 71% in the second week. The first week I wrote up, I was like, this is weird, but probably just an aberration um, because they were up by like three touchdowns and I didn't watch the game by hand. So I didn't know if all of those snaps missed were in the fourth quarter or if they're in the first quarter or in the second quarter. I don't know. Yeah. This game, I mean, it was very competitive. They lost. It was back and forth. Uh, Bateman, like in the first game, he actually did just kind of make one play. Like he is targets for everyone kind of sucked. Everything kind of sucked. He just made one phenomenal play. This game, he was dominant. I mean, he had seven targets on 22 routes. Why was he not running the other nine routes? He played like 60% of the snaps. So I don't know if they don't want him on run blocking situations and then they can't have him on all the pack personnel packages because they don't want to disguise looks. I don't know. Point is, it's really weird. I, I will say this. like If his usage continues to be what it's been, he will not continue this level of fantasy performance because he's entirely doing it on efficiency and his efficiency is not going to maintain at this level. Like we just said, he's second in the NFL in yards per target. Um, but at the same time, like if he does maintain this level of targets per route run, which is basically exactly what we wanted to see because that was his issue last year was not earning enough targets on his routes. And then they just give him more routes then it's fine. So it's like, do I want to be, I don't really want to have like a sell position on an exciting young player with a good prospect who's now earning targets at the rate we want them to just because his coach isn't giving the first round pick enough routes. It's like very weird. You don't see that happen very often. Um, but at the same time, like I also don't want to go hog wild buying him. And then what if he just never runs enough routes and the efficiency goes away? So I'm kind of, eh, I don't know. 
Yeah, I think I'm just pushing all the chips in. Like, he's a good player. The only thing holding him back is routes, which is, like, a really bizarre thing because weird. the offense isn't, like, chock full of superstars. It's not like they're like, oh, we got to no. make uh, make some space for some guy I've never heard of to get a route here. No. Like, it's... it's a scheme something up for Demarcus Robinson. Like, it, like, I've been saying this since the Baltimore Ravens drafted Rashad Bateman. I have been calling him inevitable. That has been my stance from day one. Slightly wavered after immediately after his rookie year until some new information came out, and uh, yeah, like it just feels inevitable that he's eventually going to run all the routes, and we're going to get Alpha Man back for the first time. And I'm just, yeah, it's it's just too weird that it's not happening. It, it they've had two weird games, like they you said, like you said, they beat the Jets by three touchdowns or something thereabouts. They're beating the Ravens by like three or the. Uh, Two Tonga Biloa led superstar uh, Dolphins by like three touchdowns with like I don't even know was it the fourth quarter when they were still up by like three touchdowns like it was insane. Uh, it could have gotten down to two by then but yeah they're up they're up they're up big. they were way up early in the game so I'm like well I, like like you said maybe it's just something weird with like how how things happen to break down in, in that particular time frame but I don't know I'm just throwing caution to the wind I'm going all in let's do this he still has Lamar Jackson who is going to lead an offense that's going to score a lot of touchdowns and uh Rashad Bateman is very very good at football and I think yeah. has been dis- displaying that so I'm buying him and then what I need I to know a, about I think that it's a fair bet like I certainly don't want to be the person you know, like I'm just gonna sell everything because of what Greg Roman decided to do in doling out routes and then like one week he's gonna run 98% of the routes I'm gonna be like could have had a Bateman you know yeah. I don't want to be that guy like if Gabriel Davis can be out here running 100% of the friggin snaps so can Rashad Bateman yeah I mean some of us like said things in the discord of like Gabriel Davis is going to run more routes and digs this year because he's used as the solo wide receiver and run blocking packages and then you're like that doesn't matter I don't need to care about run blocking film yeah yeah I, I still don't care if uh if Gabriel Davis wants to run all the running like the rushing snaps I'm okay with that because Stefan Diggs is going to score all of the fantasy points so well, I don't know. Stefan Diggs seemingly found an untapped. I mean, Stefan Diggs has not had a game that good since Gabriel Davis elevated to the offense. So it seems as though, you know, you take out Gabe, Stefan Diggs all of a sudden makes his presence felt. Um, the only thing that makes sense. The only I mean, thing holding back Stefan Diggs from greatest wide receiver in the history of the world was Gabriel Davis. And the only thing holding Gabriel Davis back was, of course, Emmanuel Sanders. So really, like inception wise or, uh, you know what, what is it called where you have like the transit of property? Is that is that the lingo that we're looking for here? Yeah, transit of property. Emmanuel Sanders is the best wide receiver in Buffalo still to this day. Yeah, <laughs> seems that way. Makes perfect sense. So Him another really Brown. good receiver, really really good receiver, Elijah Less is <laughs> doing Les. a lot of nothing in. <laughs> New York, other than running empty calorie routes, great for him. Yeah, he's getting the Rashad, he's the reverse of Rashad Bateman. It's Bateman's true. getting all the targets on none of the routes. Elijah's getting all the routes with none of the targets, which is really Corey weird Davis. because coming into the year, we were like, I wonder if Elijah's going to get all the routes because they have Corey Davis, who's a split end, and they draft another receiver in Garrett Wilson. You're like, oh man, that would suck if he was just a slot wide receiver. And then Bateman, it was like, well, he's going to run all the routes because they don't have anybody else in Baltimore. So, but then they were like, ah, but Bateman didn't earn a lot of targets last year. So I don't know. And then Elijah, you're like, he's always earned a million targets, but I was a little concerned about his routes. Um, and now I'm, you know, the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> So what are you doing with Elijah? Are you out in the streets, like pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, trying to get Elijah on your squad? Are you just like out? Like this well, is over. 
You're dead to me. It's been two weeks. You have not produced. What happened the first two weeks will continue into perpetuity. Where are you at? Well, um, what do you do when there's an emergency? You call the police. Right. So what number do you dial? 911. Right. So on Elijah Moore's routes, he has a yards per route run of 0.911. Uh, that that feels prophetic. It's, <laughs> right. it's, it's an, an emergency. emergency. <laughs> um, so that's concerning. Here, Here's my what I call the slash lines. So route participation, targets per route run, yards per route run for the three main Jets wide receivers in two games. Um, his The 911, by the way, that was his just his week two. Uh, of course, week one. So in in across both games, we have Elijah Moore leading in routes, ninety two percent of the routes. So 0.92 route participation, 0.12 targets per route run. That's like what Donovan Peoples Jones like gets uh, in an average season. So that's like really bad. <laughs> um, 0.90 yards per route run. That is like again like egregious. Um, tiny sample, but like if that was what he did over the season, we would be like, oh, that's one of the worst wide receivers in football. Like it's that bad of a number. Um, Garrett Wilson, 0.66 route participation, so two thirds. 0.31 targets per route run, absolutely elite. Uh, 2.31 yards per route run. That's like absolutely phenomenal. Historically, over two yards per route run for a rookie is like one of those kind of magic number type of signals. Um, Corey Davis, not dead yet. 0.71 run participation, 0.17 uh, targets per run. That's like very Gabe Davisian. Um, and then uh, 2.08 yards per run. So actually he's like literally, Corey Davis is the, doing the Gabe Davis stat line of the lot of routes, uh, not a lot of targets, a lot of efficiency. Uh, Corey Davis, Gabe Davis, he every like Davis. The, the wide open, like 50 yard touchdown, like yeah. right in Gabe's wheelhouse. Exactly. He's great at those. So anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I think like it's obviously getting it better than that for Elijah Moore. Like priors matter. Um, here's where I'm at with Elijah Moore. Uh, all he did at Ole Miss was earn targets. Then in rookie year, he came out, he earned a bunch of targets. Uh, I'm pretty sure that he can earn targets. So I, I don't think that a two-game sample, albeit the Jets have had more pass routes than any other team. So like their two-game sample is like, double some other team's sample. Like the Panthers, I think, have had like almost half the the attempted throws, uh targeted throws that the Jets have. Well, that um, makes sense because when you have Joe Flacco, you simply must unleash him. Right. Yeah. It's of course you, you must you must unleash him. Like they so they have it's a hundred and nine pass route sample that we're talking about with the Jets. So that's Love like it. not nothing. It's it's what most teams would be three games. Um really bad. But it's still just a two-game sample, and I do think there's like at least something to the fact that Elijah Moore, Corey Davis were working all offseason alongside Braxton Berrios with Zach Wilson. Garrett Wilson was Joe Flacco's number one wide receiver on the second team all through camp, right? And the people he was going up against were like Denzel Mims um, and, I don't know, Jeff Smith. Is he still on the team? I'm not even sure if he's still on the team. But is Denzel might. Mims even still on the team? Like He actually is. They refuse to trade him. At this point, they're, I, they've taken him hostage, I think. We, need, we need to take a sidebar here because I have not updated the rankings for Denzel Mims for a long time. <laughs> All of last year, every time, every month I, or every four weeks, I would update the rankings in season. I would add <laughs> a series of ha-ha-ha-ha-has to his blurb. Every every ranking update without fail until we went to the clusters, I would go in and laugh more at Denzel Mims and his stands and feel absolutely no remorse about it. They deserved every second of it. Every letter that I typed was vindication for a year 
of just being berated by these mim stands and then like the gas station sushi just like ruined his career it's hard to believe it's hard to believe that's the case i mean but it could I, be. like i don't want to defend denzel mims because he's clearly terrible but it is like honestly a little bit cruel that the jets like refuse to just release this man and yet never make him active on game days like what what purpose does he serve like just cut him like he's been begging to be cut for a year and a half and they refuse to play him and refuse to cut him it's honestly like it should be a criminal offense it's because Um, they're trying to motivate everyone else by like this example they're like look this could be you elijah moore you better (laughs) earn some friggin' targets or this is gonna be you a year from now you're gonna be begging us to trade you and we won't do it so get out there and earn some targets from joe elite flacco yeah it's it's depressing anyway point point being that Garrett Wilson was playing second team reps with Flacco next to like total non threats, right? Which means like I wasn't at the camp, but I have to imagine that a lot of those throws were going to Garrett Wilson because otherwise they would have been going to Denzel Mims and Denzel Mims never gets people short of him because he's Denzel Mims. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I think there's like something to that. That being said, like to me, that's more of like an Elijah hope than it is a Wilson knock. Like I don't care what kind of chemistry you have with any quarterback. If you walk in as a rookie, early declare rookie, and you earn over 30% targets per route run on a 72 route sample in your first two NFL games, like that's big boy table, right? Like that's awesome. So I'm not using that to diminish him. It's, it's purely just with Elijah. I guess like my take on it is that, you know, we had a very big discussion in the discord uh, about who would you rather have in dynasty Elijah Moore or Garrett Wilson in the off season. Right. And you went the beta route. You said, I'll take Elijah Moore. And I, like a true alpha, I laid it on the line. I said, give me Garrett Wilson. Give me the value upside of the first round pick. And and that's where I'm at right now. I think that Garrett Wilson at this point is somewhere between really good and elite. I'm not really sure yet where he falls in that spectrum, but somewhere in there. The fact that he instantly alpha Elijah Moore tells me that Elijah Moore is not inevitable. Elijah Moore is probably really good and maybe just good. Um, and so... He's a guy that I definitely am open to buying if he ever dips in price because I always want to buy good players when they dip in price. But he's no longer like an untouchable guy where if I could use Elijah Moore to accomplish things that I need to do with my team at more important positions, I'm okay giving him up. Uh, Because I think that right now, even though it's two games, I don't want to overreact, but right now the elite value upside as in maybe this guy's scoring 20 points per game, as in maybe this is a guy that I can trade like without that much added one day for an elite quarterback, it's probably more likely to be Garrett Wilson. Oh, for sure. I think I think at this point it's easily Garrett Wilson over Elijah Moore. Uh, I think Elijah or I think Garrett Wilson has moved kind of into the Drake London zone for me at this point, which is saying a lot because I was pretty high on Drake London. He's maybe not quite at Drake London level, but he's he's damn close. I would say. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I was asked the same question because I wrote this like raving thread about Garrett Wilson. And I didn't write as like glowingly about Drake London, mostly because everybody I thought kind of already like knew how I felt about Drake London. Um, so I just felt like I didn't need to as much. Um, I think that like relative to London, Wilson has gained more ground, but I still think that they've been like equally impressive. Maybe Wilson's slightly more impressive just because I think the Jets have more competent players around him, whereas like Brian Edwards and Alameda Zacchaeus are the other receivers in Atlanta. But... <laughs> Let's slow down for a second because Garrett Wilson is out here alphaing Elijah Moore and Corey Davis. Meanwhile, Drake London is alphaing Kyle Pitts. Right. What do you always say? Two, two's, a, two's company, three's a crowd? Yeah. Like Atlanta Atlanta does not have a crowd. They have a Brian Edwards. 
And what's amazing about that is the Drake London has made it a one man show with right. Let's transition. Let's talk about London too, because they're both awesome. Let's, let's go to London. About, yeah, let's talk about London and let's talk about Pitts because everybody wants to know what the hell to do with Pitts. So let's talk about Atlanta. Let's talk about what? Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards. They they tried to go to the fourth quarter. God, it was yeah, fourth down. Their season was on the line. Well, their game was on the line, and they have Kyle Pitts and they have Drake London, and. uh yeah, I, I have my tweet in front of me it, last night, and I said, if I had Drake London on my team, or, sorry, that was the follow-up. My my initial tweet was, I probably wouldn't want my game to come down to Brian Edwards versus Jalen Ramsey if I was the team with Brian Edwards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would probably not take the Brian Edwards side, no matter who he was matched up against. <laughs> yeah. But in that specific instance, I, I think you probably nailed it. Yeah. All right. What do you think about Atlanta? You go first this time. Pitts. Well, I think that Drake London is like borderline a. So, like everybody knows in Dynasty, we have the Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase one and two. Like, I think most are on Jefferson and then Chase at this point, but maybe not. I don't know. Doesn't really matter. They're one and two, and and that's it matters to me. I have like Jefferson and then Chase. I I have like two tiers. I'm I'm Jefferson and then Chase for sure. No, but, but I'm saying uh, I don't have them in the same tier. Like I don't think they're interchangeable. I oh, actually yeah, would yeah. add to Chase to get Jefferson. Yeah, I think that's probably fair as well. Like I'm not adding a lot to Chase to get Jefferson, but I, I'd add a little bit. Like maybe a second round pick. I'm not giving up like a 20, yeah. I'd add a second round first pick. round pick or anything to go from. Oh, Chase I'd add a second round pick. My general yeah, rule okay. for tiers is that if I would pay a second round pick to get somebody else, and they're no longer in the same tier. That's fair. So anyway, we have those two, and then we have this like unknown at wide receiver three. I think a lot of people don't really know. Yeah. Who the wide receiver three? Is. There's no oh, consensus on who the wide receiver three. Is. Well, there's a consensus between the smart people. You know, there, there isn't because it's not AJ Brown. Stop it. And anyways, it's like AJ Brown is in the exact same situation he's always been in, and nothing has changed. He's still great. Let's talk about he's Atlanta first, and then we're gonna make this a wider wide receiver three discussion because your AJ anyways, Brown day is so egregious. Drake- and I think that you have a good take on London and Pitts, and I don't want people to turn off the show after they hear your AJ Brown take because <laughs> if I was to hear your AJ Brown take first, I couldn't take anything else you have to say seriously. So I want you to talk about London and Pitts before you sully all of your credibility about AJ Brown. <laughs> Drake London is... I forget where I had him in the overall history of the Bulletproof Fantasy Football or in the Bulletproof uh, process for wide receivers, but he was like a 90... 90- sixth percentile prospector somewhere thereabouts he's like literally one of the best prospects we've ever seen he comes out and he alphas Kyle Pitts one of the best probably the best tight end prospect we've ever seen who also had the best rookie season we've ever seen aside from like I don't know 1968 and Mike Dicka or something like that but like who's I don't even nobody knows what happened in that era there's not even video of that so get out of here Kyle Pitts is the best ever Anyways, Drake London is this elite prospect who has walked in the NFL and played like an elite playmaker on day one. As far as I'm concerned, we're basically at Drake London is an elite NFL player. And when we're at that point, we're looking at he's 21. Is he 21 years old now or is he still 20? I think he just turned 21. I think he's now 21. Yeah, he just turned 21 fairly recently within the last few months, I think. Since the draft, I think he was 20 at the draft. Anyways, I'm getting off topic. The age doesn't really matter. He's super young. He's a rookie. He's playing like one of the best wide receivers in the football already. He's probably not going to challenge Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson's uh, rookie season uh, like record-setting pace. Although, you know what? He probably is. Let's just let's just go there. 
Is is Drake London going to be the best rookie wide receiver we've ever seen? Yes or no? No, because I mean, I mean, we've yeah. just seen like the last two years of Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Yeah. But he's not going to be that. But he's going to be really good anyway. And uh, when you're yeah. dealing with super young players that are really, really, but good. mostly because like I'm sorry to your favorite player in, in the NFL, but Marcus Mariota is is definitely not Joe Burrow, and he's not even he's Kirk. Not gonna he's not going to get it. He's not going to get my boy Drake to that level. Drake's no. going to have a really strong season. He's probably going to be a wide receiver too this year, which is like an incredibly strong season for a for yes. a rookie. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I'm like, I don't know if he's wide receiver three necessarily, but I think he's in the conversation. And I think that's saying a hell of a lot about a player that's played two games. Maybe I'm overreacting, but probably not. We're confirming priors here. We thought he was great. He is great. He will continue to be great because whatever happens in the first two weeks of the season carries on for the rest of the year and into perpetuity thereafter. Kyle Pitts, on the other hand, was like, so I get a lot of flack for fading Kyle Pitts last year, which I think is pretty unfair. Because oh, it's fair. I think I, think I kind of nailed it. We were taking, you know, the quarterbacks, which most people were taking the quarterbacks over Kyle Pitts. And I think that was still the right play. Like the quarterbacks have been so unbelievably bad in comparison to what we thought they were going to be. And, and not just like me, like what everyone thought they were going to be. That I think it was still the right play to take the quarterbacks. Not Zach Wilson. We should have never taken Zach Wilson. I don't remember if I had him before or after Pitts. I might have actually had him before, and that would have been well, that was there. Bad. Yeah, uh, well, but anyway, like, Javante had a pick? yeah, I think I had uh Javante and ETN. I don't know if I had Najee ahead of him, I might have. Oh, well, that's like, egregious. Re- really, the whole point of all this is that my entire rankings were basically get Jamar Chase or, or get nobody. Jamar Chase was my 102 after Trevor Lawrence. That was the play. If you were drafting at all in the first half of the first round, you were taking Jamar Chase and you're happy. So get out of here. Kyle Pitts turned out to be really good too, and that's great. He was the best tight end prospect we've ever seen. He had the best rookie year we've ever seen, except for in the era pre-TVs. And therefore, Kyle Pitts is going to be great. I'm not panicked at all at this point. I will probably never panic. And in fact, if Kyle Pitts never becomes good, I will be telling you to buy Kyle Pitts every single day until he's out of the league. Because Kyle Pitts has the opportunity and the ability to win your fantasy league on an annual basis in the realm of what Travis Kelsey has done for the past, I don't know, decade or so. So that's where I'm at with those guys. I think they're both elite. Whoever gets drafted by the uh, by the Falcons in the first round this year for the quarterback, I, pre- I got to presume they're going to take a quarterback this year, is going to be a very sought-after player. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason why uh, I took so much Desmond Ritter is that like I, I think that just in the off chance, probably bad, almost certainly bad, just in case he's not bad. bad. Just in case he's not bad. He's probably he's a bad. rushing quarterback who gets to throw to Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Like Marcus you know? Mariota. Yeah, except he's definitely bad. <laughs> that's that's very much known. Uh it's just, you know, when I watch Jalen Hurts out there trying to work his way into the top ten overall in Dynasty, right? I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be the person who faded Desmond Ritter. I wouldn't want to be like, oh, I could make this mistake again. You know, I could like, fade. He, I could fade the Russian quarterback hey, again. Stop it! Stop okay. it! Jalen Hurts was a substantially better prospect than Desmond Ritter, yeah, regardless of, of the draft capital. Yeah, like, of course, substantially. Right, we get it. You you have player takes. You evaluate players, right? You think, yeah, you, you know, yeah. that's that's what you're trying to. We, do. we pick the to... right players in this house. Right. How, did you know that Desmond Ritter uh, would call his own line adjustments in college? Do that's I care cool. that he called his own line I adjustments? Care. Could he? He, he called his own line adjustments and then still couldn't make any of the passes required. Yeah, that's true. 
it's his fault that Alec Pierce sucks. Anyway, um, in college, Desmond Pierce didn't suck, or he shouldn't have sucked. He got drafted in the second round of the NFL draft. No, I'm joking. This is just like there's like this ongoing thing where people kept saying that like Alec Pierce only had bad fancy stats because of his quarterback play, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I was like, like Desmond Ritter is like probably a bad NFL prospect, but I was like, he's he's like definitely like one of the better new things you could hope for in a college quarterback. Like the guy got yeah, drafted in the NFL. I was like, what are you not doing? holding anyone back in college? Holding, <laughs> yeah. holding everyone back in the NFL, but you ain't holding anybody back in college. Yeah. Anyway, that was a totally useless tangent. I agree with everything you said about Kyle Pitts. Um, I, I think that, yeah, it's if you think about, like, especially if you think that you're a really good fantasy manager, which, you know, you, you, you probably requires some level of, of self-awareness to actually come to that realization and be correct. But if you're an experienced dynasty manager, if you have a track record of success, um, and you expect that over a certain number of years, you're more likely than not to accrue a high value roster. You should be prioritizing Kyle Pitts because he's one of the least, like we talk about replaceable in sense of value over replacement all the time. I, I like to even use the word replicable. Like you can't even, it's not that you can't replace Kyle Pitts. You can't even replicate Kyle Pitts if he hits right right now. He, he's not obviously hitting, but Really, there's only one other asset currently in the NFL that you can say replicates Kyle Pitts' ceiling, which is Mark Andrews. And he's also a massive buy. You should buy Mark Andrews. But otherwise, like it's Kelsey, who's really old. That's not going to last forever. It's it's Darren Waller who's pretty good. You know, like I, I'm very happy to have Darren Waller on several teams. Uh, but he's he doesn't have that level of a ceiling. He's he's getting up there and he's plays with Devontae Adams. Uh, you know, George Kittle, he has his own problems. He's always injured. Um, he plays with two other really good players. Uh, he has an uncertain quarterback future. You know, they don't pass the ball. And, you know, by the time that all, he doesn't really have age on his side anymore for all of those types of externalities to sort themselves out. Like if they ever sort themselves out, he's probably 31 by that point. So it's really just Pitts and then Andrews. Um, and maybe Brock Bowers, you know, eventually in 2024, who knows? Um, but for now, like we only have two players that have like demonstrated the elite type of thing that we need out of tight end in their peripherals uh, and that are also young. And it, it's just Pitts and Andrews. So I'm buying Pitts. I'm also buying Andrews. But that's the kind of missing piece that nobody else in your league can match. And I want to, like if there's a bet that I'm willing to go down with the ship on, that's the bet that I'm willing to go down with the ship on. All in on Kyle Pitts. I'm in on Drake London. I have Drake London as my dynasty wide receiver four my dynasty wide receiver three of course is aj brown aj brown it came back to earth he probably wasn't gonna have a 44 percent target share again um because nobody uh maintains a 44 percent target share again however he is still through two games at a quite remarkable 33% target share in the Philadelphia Eagles offense. Pass rate over expected data has not yet come out for week two, but they were a plus pass rate over expected team in week one. Uh, I, I would think they're probably somewhat neutral in week two, just from like the naked judgment and the fact that almost all their, uh, or a ton of their rush attempts came in the final drives when they were killing the clock. But we will soon find out. Why do you not have AJ Brown at Dynasty Wide Receiver three? And if you don't, then who is the Dynasty Wide Receiver three? I don't know. I don't do linear rankings because they're useless, and therefore I don't know who my Dynasty Wide Receiver three is. I'd have to think about it intently rather than on the fly. I think uh, AJ Brown is I don't know probably like maybe not Wide Receiver three, but he's probably in the top five or six anyway. Like he's not far off. My issue with this whole thing is that. We don't know if Jalen Hurts is going to be allowed to pass the football. 
He's been phenomenal at passing the football thus far, but they've only had, what was it, 31 and 29 pass attempts or something like that in the first two weeks? Like they're passing at the same rate they were passing last year, which is is that because they get out to these huge leads? Or what about the shootout with Detroit? Remember the shootout? There was a shootout. Well, it wasn't a shootout. It was a it was the, the Eagles are way ahead, and then Detroit came back in garbage time. Their pass rate over expected uh, in week one. Uh, I'm looking at the chart right now, and it's like it's like a graph that doesn't have perfect numbers. It just like shows people on a chart, so I can't actually tell what the exact number is. But it looks like it's between three and four percent um, over expected on this chart. This ranks them. Um, Seven. This ranks them 12th after the first week. Again, haven't seen week two yet, but I would expect it to be somewhat similar. A team that's bludgeoning teams and holding a lead, being at 30 pass attempts in a game, isn't that bad. That's just a normal team. Obviously, I don't think that the Eagles are going to be like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, where they're just like passing, 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 you know, like the Buffalo Bills last night, where it's like they were up by 24 points. They're like, ah, let's get more. Um, that would be lovely. I would love AJ Brown to be in that type of offense. Almost no wide receivers are in that type of offense. But the issue is, is like he's not in the Titans anymore. Where the Titans would be behind, they would still be establishing the run. When the Titans were winning games, it was an absolute shock if they were to ever get to 30 pass attempts. It was typically, we saw 22s, 25s, 27s. Like the Eagles are a normal team. AJ Brown is an abnormal talent. He, in terms of his yards per route run, his targets per route run, he's always been in that tier of the Devontae Adams, the recently Cooper Cops, Justin Jeffersons. That's where he resides. The things that have gotten in the way have been injuries and his not running enough routes, which is partially due to injuries, and the team's complete unwillingness to pass the ball at even a normal rate. They don't need to be pass happy. They just need to not be pass averse. And the only way that you can say that the Eagles have been pass averse the first two weeks is that they've been losing averse and that they've always been winning because they're a great team because they're going to win the Super Bowl because they're going to win 14 games because Jalen Hurts is the fucking truth. But eventually a team is going to keep pace and we're going to see a Jalen Hurts 40 pass attempt performance and it's going to be miraculous. Probably not this week. They're facing the commanders. Yeah, we. I mean, we saw Ryan Tannehill throw forty passes from time yeah, to time. Yeah, when they so lost, it's not. It's not that outrageous to to have a low volume team that has spike weeks. What I would like to counter with, you're like, oh, look at the pass rate over expected in in week one. I don't have the pass rate over expected in week one for every team, but what I do have is the neutral script early down pass rate from RBs don't matter uh, from week one, and then if you compare that to their season long early down neutral script pass rate. It doesn't matter. There's like 11 of the 32 teams were within four percentage points, four percent. That's a huge range. That's an eight percentage point range. And there were 11 teams within that week one range. We are far too early into the season to have any take on whether or not the Philadelphia Eagles will be a pass heavy or a pass adverse team. What we do know is that Jalen Hurts did not pass the football last year and he has not passed the football this year. And sometimes something about a duck and, and like it quacks and it looks like one and then maybe it isn't. But then also, I don't know, you had some other analogy about it was a swan. I don't remember exactly how that worked. The pelican was involved, yeah. The whole point here is we just don't know what this offense is other than we know that Jalen Hurts has never passed the football. Uh, how about this? I'm not I mean... One of the re- one of the concerns wasn't just how much they would pass. It was is Jalen Hurts any good at passing? Well, I mean, obviously it's only two weeks. You can't draw everything. But in terms of what we've learned from the last two weeks, like we have to feel better about Jalen Hurts as a passer now than we did previously. He's been awesome. Well, interestingly enough, like Jalen Hurts has been 
a reasonable like efficiency passer, like seven point three and seven point two are his rookie and sophomore years in yeah, terms of yards. Which which is like like fine. Like it's not terrible, but it's also not bad. Uh and it's like that's perfectly starter capable passing. He's currently at nine point one, which is like Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee esque, which is completely unsustainable for the most part. So we're going to see a pretty big drop back in terms of efficiency. Ryan Tannehill with the AJ Brown led offense had a 9.6 his first year in 2019. 9.6 yards per attempt for the whole friggin' year, which was 12 games because Mario had started the first four yeah. or five games. Like it was absurd. And then he went to 7.9 thereafter and 7.0 last year. So like Jalen Hurts is a Ryan Tannehill level passer probably that also rushes a hell of a lot. And I think one of the things that I always get hung up on that maybe you care less about is that, how did you put it? Uh, Jalen Hurts, maybe it wasn't you. Somebody was telling me that Jalen Hurts was tasked to drop back so many times, but then yeah. he elected to run the football. And I thought, well, yeah, that's what Jalen Hurts friggin' does. He's like Lamar Jackson, except just not as explosive as Lamar Jackson as a rusher. So, like, it's fine. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, just, it's, it's, their first game was particularly like, outliery though because we were talking about the past attempts so remember i was talking about with baker mayfield the percentage of targeted throws the yeah. first week jalen hurts dropped back to pass 41 times only 25 of those resulted in a targeted throw that was 61 percent. that's like that will be one of the lowest marks that we will see the entire year this week we had like a much more normal right for a rushing quarterback which was 79 percent um baker mayfield that's converted into well baker was at 71 so right in the middle um like i expect that that's more in line with what we'll see out of Hurts. He's going to scramble more than the average quarterback. That's going to eat up dropbacks. Absolutely. Like if they are a plus pass rate over expected team, subtract the scrambles, they're probably an average actual pass rate team. But uh, I, I don't think that they're pass averse. I think they're going to pass plenty more than the Tennessee Titans. Anyway, we have reached very close to the end of our show. Is there any last subject or take that you want to have? Um, oh, do we want to end this just making fun of Alan Lazard? No, we want to we want to we want to finish Jalen Hurts and then we'll make fun of Alan Lazard. We we have to go out on making fun of Alan Lazard because it was All the right. worst take of the year and it needs to be addressed. We've we've addressed Alan Lazard in the pre-pre-show, which was the first episode that did not get launched. And then we addressed Alan Lazard yet again in the post week 1 episode that did not get launched. It like like honestly, I have been letting down the fans of the Bulletproof Patreon and the the Bulletproof uh, podcast for two consecutive weeks now and they don't even know it they don't even know that i've been letting them down for two consecutive weeks much like alan lazard has been letting people down for his whole life (laughs) so like there's just a lot going on right now and i'm having the difficulty processing there's a lot of emotions happening but i I just want to finish off with jalen hurts really quick before we move into how terrible alan lazard is and how awful all of the takes regarding alan lazard were this season other than everybody who said that he wasn't good because he obviously wasn't good is Jalen Hurts in the elite tier? Like, is, does he belong in Dynasty after two weeks with Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, and uh, maybe not quite Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes? Or like, is he up in that tier already for you? Or are you, you know, exercising even like an ounce of caution and like, you know, just just anything? Like, are are you rushing out the best case scenario? Are you using some some level of restraint here? Uh, I'm not. So I think that it's very easy to frame my two week 
uh, change in Jalen Hurts' opinion as an overreaction, which I think is fair because I was not as high all offseason on Jalen Hurts as I should have been. It is by far my number one biggest regret. As people will remember that listened to our episode together on the Full Tilt podcast or just like followed us on Twitter last summer, um, I was exponentially higher on Jalen Hurts coming into 2021 uh, than you were as a player, as a fantasy asset, as a bet, etc., etc. Then he kind of like had a Rorschach test year in 2021, which was like, he didn't full on face plant. So he didn't lose the job, but he also didn't exactly grab the bull by the horns either. And my position going in was like worst case scenario. He's going to be kind of what I thought he was in 2021. Cause I, I had some degree of confidence that he wasn't going to full flame out. And I was pretty comfortable making the bet that like worst case, I'm just going to take the fantasy points and then I'm going to cash out at the end of the year without losing much of a cost. And that's just kind of what I did. And I think that at the time that like pre AJ Brown trade, I think that that was honestly like a fine bet. There was some risk that they might trade for Russ. There was some risk they might trade for Rogers. Like who knows what they were going to do with Watson. Um, the draft had still yet to come up at that point. They hadn't traded a pick away to the saints. Maybe they would even come up and trade a pick a quarterback for, for goodness sake. Who knows? Then they do the draft and they don't get any of the big buy quarterbacks. They actually go get one of the best wide receivers on the planet to pair with an already really good wide receiver in Smith and a really good tight end in Goddard. And I should have adjusted far more. I kind of looked at it as I was like, oh, like that's a nice upgrade for Hertz. He'll score a lot of fantasy points this year, but the bet's kind of the same. And I don't think that I should have. I, I think that I should have been like, okay, this is a guy who's probably good enough to succeed in the NFL in general. And given this level of weaponry, the threshold he needs to reach to continue to keep his job is so much lower because he's going to have these players doing so much work for him. And he doesn't actually have to be an elite passer to be an elite dynasty asset. He just needs to be good enough to get a big fat second contract and to keep his job for a while. Because for as long as he's on a football field, he's going to score so many fantasy points because he runs so much. He has such great weapons. Um, he's, he's everything that we want in a fantasy quarterback. So... I should have been way, way higher on Jalen Hurts this whole time. I apologize. I corrected like very much at the end, and I got a couple in the early second round of my last couple startups. But like I should have, there was times where he was falling into the third round in the offseason, like pre AJ Brown trade, and I like lie awake at night, and, and I, it haunts me that I don't have exponentially more Jalen Hurts in Dynasty. But yes, now I will not let my previous underreactions stop my proper reactions. Currently, Jalen Hurts provides a much higher, much higher fantasy ceiling than Joe Burrow. So basically the only world in which you'd rather have Joe Burrow or Dak Prescott or any of these other options over Jalen Hurts is a world in which you think that it is reasonably likely that Jalen Hurts is going to get benched and specifically that he is going to get benched in a way where you can't cash him out at close to his current value in the window of time before that reality happens. Right. So I would rather bet on Hertz. I'd rather bet on the upside. I'd rather bet on myself as a manager, quite frankly, to recognize that if things start to go bad, I will be able to sell when the canary's in the coal mine, not when I'm in the coal mine. Uh, and so I'm buying Jalen Hertz. I think that in like a classic six point passing touchdown, PPR, Superflex Dynasty League, there's all those elite guys, right? Holmes, Allen, Herbert, Lamar. I prefer Lamar Herbert, but anyway, that's what the market thinks. Um, Kyler, um, Jefferson, Chase, uh, I still would include Pitts in there. I think that after that, you usually see Taylor and Burrow. 
I'm perfectly comfortable taking Jalen Hurts ahead of Taylor and Burrow in that scenario, or at least alongside them. Yeah, I think like for me, it's it's always been oh, and Deshaun Watson. By the way, like I'm just like way higher the market than Sean Watson, but he's a terrible person. I don't want to talk about. Yeah, me too. I mean, like we have to we have to win football or we have to win fantasy football championships and Deshaun Watson at his value is a slam dog when it comes to winning fantasy football championships. And, uh, I can still think he's an awful human being and roster him. I'm okay with that. Anyway, Jalen hurts for me came out as a rookie and I was like, you need to move mountains to get Jalen hurts at the end of the second round of rookie drafts, because as soon as he gets to play and he will get to play at some point, because he's second round pick, he's going to get on the field be it through injury or a you know a chance at a starting gig somewhere down the line he's going to get a chance and he's going to score buckets of fantasy points as soon as that happens feel free to unload them because we have no guarantee of a future here it could be gone as soon as it arrived but in that few games or maybe lots of games we're gonna get a lot of fantasy points so cash out and then we'll buy back in someday if it looks like he's going to be for real at this point now, not not necessarily because of the first two games. I was actually kind of leaning this way, and I mentioned it once or twice in the Discord over the summer. I'm kind of leaning towards even if Jalen Hurts isn't the franchise quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, he's going to get another chance to be quarterback somewhere. Like he's not done if he is done in Philadelphia after this year. Yeah, and then, and then the first two games happen. I'm like, wow, he, he's he's probably going to be the franchise quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles unless things go like really, really bad, but I don't think they're going to go really, really bad. Like this is maybe a micro take, but does it matter that they play in the worst division on earth? Like the Cowboys lost their quarterback, right? So they are terrible. The commanders are terrible. The giants are terrible. They also play the AFC East uh, or sorry, the AFC South, right? AFC South Colts, Jaguars, Texans, that's 10 games against like horrific football teams. They're going to win like 13 games. And then if they win the AFC and go to the Super Bowl, like then yeah, he's good. (laughs) <laughs> like he's gonna be there for a while. Like he's gonna be fine, and yeah. yeah, it's just like so. One of the things I, I've kind of been leaning into a little bit the last uh, last couple of years is just using like a like this is honestly probably not the best process, but <laughs> yards per attempt seems to be like a really really easy barometer to spot a starting quarterback in the NFL or not a starting yeah. quarterback in the NFL. If you have less than a seven point zero yards per attempt, you're probably not a long term starting quarterback. If you have greater than a seven point zero yards per attempt. You could be a starting NFL quarterback. It's not right. that all of them are. Marcus Mariota has like a career 7.6. Baker Mayfield has like a 7.3. Like these guys are maybe long-term starting quarterbacks. Also, maybe probably not long-term starting quarterbacks to some degree. Like they're they're not going to be franchise quarterbacks that get the huge second or third contract or second contract or wherever we're at with Mariota at this point. Yeah. But we're going to probably see them in the NFL as a fringe starter for a long time. And Jalen Hurts has seven point, what did I say earlier? 7.2 and 7.6 or something in his first two years. 7.2 and 7.3 in his first two years. And now 9.1 in the first two weeks of this year. So like he looks like he is at least a capable NFL passer. He's an electric NFL rusher, which means he's probably going to get another chance to be a quarterback, even if it isn't in Philly. So for playing dynasty fantasy football at this point, I'm not as concerned about his longevity anymore because he's already established competence it's not going to be great he's never going to be patrick mahomes probably he's probably never going to be josh allen but he could be like a poor man's kyler murray for a long time and that would be really really great asset to have in dynasty especially considering how much cheaper he is than everyone else so we were talking earlier you know uh like with trading up 
or like tearing up or tearing down and like Dak Prescott and Joe Burrow for me are kind of, and, and even Justin Herbert to some degree, he's a little better than they are, but like they're in this like weird spot where I don't really think their value matches their points necessarily. Can I give you a, can I give you a Russian nesting dolls take here on those guys? Yeah, of course. Justin Herbert is the overpriced Joe Burrow, who is the overpriced Dak Prescott, who is the overpriced Matthew Stafford, who is the overpriced Derek Carr, who is the overpriced Kirk Cousins. Wait, you think that Carr is better than Cousins? No, I just think that he costs more, so thus he's the overpriced oh. version. Oh, fair. Fair, fair, fair. Okay, I, I thought you were trying to imply that Carr was better than Cousins. And we well, this is like a very pro Kirk. I mean... Granted, I did just watch the game last night, but no, this is like a pro cousins take. I'm 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 like listing all of these other quarterbacks that are like like either slightly better or slightly costlier variations of him. Um, yeah. that like scale up in a massive factor, and then it, oh, they sure. eventually at the very top they cost like substantially more than Kirk Cousins, who's yeah, not materially that different than like Joe Burrow. No, for sure. And then and, but like Jalen Hurts is on a totally different plane. Like he he right. he doesn't even play in that area of the of the playground. No. He's in like the Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. He's he's in that nesting doll area. And that's just really exciting. So at this point, I like I don't own or roster any Jalen Hurts because I traded them all for first round picks two years ago when he skyrocketed to fame. And I've just been kind of like biding my time, waiting to see if he's any good and whether I think he's going to be long term. And now I'm like, yeah, he's probably gonna be a quarterback for a long time in the NFL. I think we should go get him. Obviously, today is not the right time to go and trade for Jalen Hurts. But as soon as he gives like some evidence of faltering and people lose just, just an ounce of faith where they're open to trading him, nobody's open to trading him today. But there's going to be a game where he is sucks and you're going to have an ounce of an opening where you can dive in, get some Jalen Hurts, and just score a lot of fantasy points for a long time. So I think you probably should. Just don't do it today. Yeah, not today. Bad time to buy Jalen Hurts today. Not today. Which brings us to the finale of the first episode, which is actually the third episode not, not today, of the Bulletproof not ever. Fantasy Football Podcast, which is not the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. It is the Sweat and Bullets Podcast, which was also once named Chasing Tales, which turned out to be an awful name. And whoever came up with that name should be for the record probably the idea was based on ranges of outcomes. That was the idea. <laughs> It was actually an awesome name until you said it out loud. And then you say it out loud. Yeah, and it's like, well, that's no probably not an appropriate name, actually. <laughs> so then then we were going to go with Chasing Our Tales. But then I just didn't like it that much. So we went with yeah. Sweating Bullets. We are Sweating Bullets now, a fantasy football podcast. Also, for the record, we are going to be Sweating Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. Kind of like a Christmas story. You know what I'm talking nice. about? Nice. Because uh, I've been told that we need to you know, abide by the algorithms. And need to uh, have fantasy football in the name. So I like there that. Sutton Bolts, fantasy Sutton football Bolts, podcast. A fantasy football podcast. Anyways, the finale, the summary to bring it all together, what we need to do to like, you know, uh, down the rally the troops to build some camaraderie to just accent the entirety of the episode is we need to talk about how awful the Alan Lazard takes were all season. And this is the third yeah. time we're doing it. So, like, we've we've practiced this. We have we've perfected this. And the great thing is that Alan Lazard has given us no indication to ever change this stance. So we can just recycle this. Maybe every episode we'll see. Every second week, I don't know. We'll 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 go. We'll play by ear. Yeah, there's. I, I've I've basically changed the name of two different players this year. I, I refuse to ever call Alan Lazard or Russell Gage by their actual name. I only call them. Um, former round six best ball pick 
Alan Lazard and former Round <laughs> Six best ball pick Russell Gage, um, because people logged in to an app in which people spend money to pick fantasy football players. Right, that's the project of Underdog or DraftKings, etc. Right, and what they do when they log into that app is they pick who. At least I think this is what they try to do. They pick who they think is the best player, right? And then choices that that people made was to take them instead of other players who are good, right? Um, you know, and that's that's a concerning choice. Al Lazard has never been good. Al Lazard has a career high, of, I think, marginally over 500 yards in the NFL. That's not very good. Uh, he has never flashed in reception perception. He's never flashed in any sort of PFF receiving grades. He's never earned targets at a rate above, uh, what was his career high in target share? I don't even know off the top of my head. I don't know. It's, it's somewhere around Gabriel Davis's. Uh, that's rude. That was unnecessary. <laughs> uh, the point is, is that we see this all the time with players where they go in and they have an offense that for whatever reason sometimes offenses don't have any good players on them in the receiving group it's just it's just what happens sometimes they blow a draft pick sometimes they're in a transitional phase sometimes a player gets hurt whatever it may be this happens every year there's some offenses that are simply alpha devoid last year it was the saints most notably led by marquez callaway it was the jaguars led by some sort of triumvirate of marvin jones laquan treadwell and lavisca chenault um Wait, didn't Zay Jones have a, have a period in that offense last year? He was on the Raiders last year. But oh, he was on the Raiders. On the he Raiders. had period with the Raiders then. I feel like we he had did. some a little tiny bit of Zay Jones hype last year. Yeah, he's with, he's on the Jaguars this year, and he's having yeah, a yeah. pretty nice start to the year. Uh, anyhow, what we usually see is that the lead target earner gets like 18% of the targets, right? And that was my point on Twitter. It's like, Alan Lazard, probably going to run all the reps. Apparently, apparently, he's a really good run blocker. You know, we'll have to see it. Uh, probably run all the routes. That means he probably will lead this team in targets in like a median outcome. It'll probably be like 17% of the targets because that's about, that's like above his average targets per route run profile, what it would indicate. And that means that at best, he might marginally hit his ADP. Like at best, right? We can like successfully draft a round six level player in round six. Except that that should never be the fucking focus because beating ADP is totally meaningless. The way that we should think about our selections is not can this player beat this arbitrary ADP market which we selected them in end of year finish. It's okay, each round you have a decreasing likelihood of being able to draft a league winner. But that doesn't mean that you simply stop trying to draft them. It means that you just have to accept wider and wider bands to be able to find them. And so instead of drafting fucking Russell Gage, who got alpha by Brashad Perriman and Scotty Miller yesterday, or Alan Lazard, who had three targets on 26 routes in his big debut, they're waiting for their wide receiver one to return. He had a 12% targets per route run. Uh, same as Elijah Moore. Uh, and uh, uh, you could have drafted Drake London. You could have drafted Devonta Smith. You could have drafted in some leagues, even Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman and these other promising year two bets going after Alan Lazard. Last night, we saw Alan Lazard return to the world and the Green Bay Packers threw, what was it, 26 pass attempts. They had 26 targets available on offer. 
The lead target getter was four, and it was Sammy Watkins. Alan Lazard was in a six-way tie at three targets for for second place. Uh, there will not be a wide receiver one for the Green Bay Packers. If there is, his name is probably Aaron Jones. But in fact, I would strongly project, as I posted on Twitter before the season, although countless people told me I was a total idiot, that no Packers player will have a 20% target share this year. I feel incredibly confident about that take. Well, there's just like this, this like vacated targets thing. Like people look at it and they're like, okay, well, Devontae Adams had 30% of the targets. He had a whole bunch of targets. And Marquez Valdez Scantling had a whole bunch of targets. And they're gone. So somebody has to play those roles and somebody has to be the first read on every pass. And somebody has to catch these passes, except somebody doesn't have to because they have to be good. Like Devontae Adams was, yeah, the first read on probably a lot of passes or a lot of like root like play designs because he's good. And then when, when they, when Aaron Rodgers looks at Devonte Adams on the first read, he's probably open because he's good. When Alan Lazard is the first read, he's probably not open because he's not good, which is like just such a blatantly obvious thing to say. But like, you know, we, we had Alan Lazard alpha superstar in for one game and he did exactly what we all thought he would do which is a really, really low, really, really, really bad uh, anything. He did nothing. In fact, his target rate was so low at 12.5%, it was only three percentage points lower than Gabriel Davis's. Like, this is a player that just simply does not earn targets. He's not good enough. So stop making him – He's not. he is fetch. No, he's not fetch. How does that saying go? I haven't seen Mean Girls in like 20 stop, years. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Stop yeah. trying to make fetch happen. That's what Alan Lazard. He's a fetch. He's not uh, for anyone for anyone who's on hour forty five of this podcast. This is the last uh, note I have put up my tweet, my favorite tweet, honestly, of the entire summer, in which I superimposed the Gordon Ramsay idiot sandwich meme beside <laughs> Adam Thielen, Hunter Renfro, and Alan Lazard's ADP, in which they went directly behind Jerry Judy and Rashad Bateman, and ahead of Michael Thomas, Devonta Smith, and Elijah Moore. Ahead of Michael Thomas, people like. Let's spend money to draft Alan Lazard ahead of Michael Thomas. Egregious. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's the show. Egregious. Don't draft bad players ahead of good players. Just draft good players. It's that simple. Stop drafting bad players. Just stop it. If you stop drafting bad players, you'll win so many more fantasy games. Like so many more. Michael Thomas actually will probably win leagues this year. Alan Lazard is actively disappointing you on a daily basis. He is like the Bulletproof Fantasy Football podcast the first two weeks of the year. Except for this one. This one was pretty good because it's actually going to air. So that is it. That is the show. Thanks Honestly, for I appreciate in. like I don't I don't pick that many like negative fights like you do. I but like there were only three players this year that I was just like or four actually that I was like actively just railing against as being like the most egregious picks on earth. Um and which was Rashad Penny, Alan Lazard uh russell gage and then came late but damian pierce um and i feel phenomenal rashad penny by the way had, had uh 1.5 fantasy points he's now at 10 fantasy points on the year so that's what you get oh for drafting God. running back who never plays passing downs on the worst team in the nfl unbelievable i i need to just highlight something though we said the episode is over stop giving takes that was a moral lap that was a lap you can i take it back take your lap that was great Anyway, we're done the show. Tune in so next week. Same people. same show coming at you. Jacob and I are now a permanent duo on the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast, which is, of course, no longer the Fantasy Football Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. We are, of course, 
Sweating Bullets, a fantasy football podcast.